Greetings, Timajulam. Karibuni sana tena. The second episode of a series that we started last week on faith in the prison. Faith in the prison. Last week we looked at the story of Joseph. And the thing about this series is really being able to look at and be able to understand what it looks like to be able to believe in God even in the difficult seasons of our lives, right? The in-between seasons where you are like, what the heck is going on here, right? Does God see this? The seasons where you wonder why a loving father would allow you to endure such hardship. This is what this series is about. This is what this series is really about. Faith in the prison, right? And we looked at Joseph last week. And today I want us to be able to look at David. Now the thing about David is that he was a man who knew God at a very young age. At the tender age of 15, he was anointed king um, by the prophet Samuel. He was God's chosen king, so he was anointed king at the tender age of 15 years old. And the thing that David was doing at this point in time is that he was just basically just tending his father's sheep, right? And the thing is, is through faith in God that we see now later, is that this guy, David, at a very young age, had been in all kinds of battles, but Uko, while tending his father's sheep, it says that he had slain bear and lion while tending his father's sheep. So this is who David was. And one of the things that happened at the age of between 16 and 20 years old is a story that we all uh, probably know about, right? Where David was responsible for one of the greatest victories in Israel at the time. He was a young man and had killed a fearsome giant called Goliath, right? You know the story of David and Goliath. He had killed Goliath. And this story and this thing made him incredibly, incredibly famous in Israel. Incredibly famous. Now at the time, the king of Israel was Saul, right? And Saul was the man in the streets. He was a king, and the Bible also says in 1 Samuel 9 and 2, that he was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than everyone else. So literally Saul was tall. I don't know if he was dark, but he was handsome. <laughs> right? He was a tall dude, good-looking dude. Could not find a more handsome dude in all of Israel, right? So he was good-looking, tall, and king. Yeah, good-looking man with power. Right? And so now what happens is that here comes this young man called David, who too, according to the Bible, was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So Saul is, Saul is definitely a hot guy, but David is a hot guy too. <laughs> right? So the thing is that happens is that because of um, David's victory against Goliath, Saul took note of David. He's like, hey, there's, there's something about this guy. And what he did is that he placed him in his army. So he brought David into his army. And the thing about David is that David become, became very successful in Saul's army, right? Because every mission that Saul would send him on, David would be incredibly successful. He was so successful that Saul gave him a very high rank in the army. And as a very young man, this is quite unprecedented. As a very young guy, he had a high rank in the army. And the officers in the army loved David as their commander. So not only was he a young commander but he was also a good commander and a victorious commander and his guys loved him which means he was also a really good leader so david was young he was handsome he had killed one of the most fearsome warriors and he was tremendously successful in battle so not only was he just as good looking as saul 
the Lord was also with him and it was evident based on all the victories that he accomplished. Right? Now the thing is, is that all things, everything for David was all good. Him and Saul were like were too poor. In fact, Saul, in fact, David was good friends with, with Saul's son, Jonathan. And, and, and Saul loved David, right? And everything was all good until one day when they're on their way back from battle, something happened that changed everything, right? Let me tell you something, guys. Eh? You realize here in this story how women are so powerful, right? In terms of the, 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 and, and, and the, the stroking of a man's ego, right? Or destroying of it, right? Now, the thing that happens here is that things take a really bad turn for David because of what happens when they are returning from battle. So what happens is this, is that while they're returning home from battle, the ladies who now came out to greet the army, right? So usually the army is coming in, the ladies will come out and be like, yeah, victory. So these babes come out, they're just here, like just here singing, right? Now, remember that Saul, if you think about it, is he's king, he's handsome, he's the man in the streets, right? Tall, handsome, and king, okay? And I'm sure all the ladies in Israel wanted Saul. They're probably always whispering about how Saul is such a handsome king and he's so powerful and whatever, right? And he had probably grown accustomed to all the attention that he would receive. But then on this day that they are returning from battle, the ladies are singing this song. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And now this is literally the genesis of all of David's problems. If we were to map it out, this is where it all begins, right? This is where it begins to go south for David. Saul becomes jealous. He's like, Yanni, these babes are here singing for David, right? And the thing is, is that he looks at David and he's like, this dude is handsome. He's courageous. God is with him. And he begins to sense this eerie feeling that this guy is his, his, is his re replacement. And he was right. David was actually his replacement. So he's here looking at his replacement, a guy who is just as handsome as he is, a guy who is just, who, for, for whom God is literally with, and it is evident. And not only that, all the babes over here singing how, this, how great this guy is, and not only are they singing about how great this guy is, they're comparing his greatness to mine. And so what happens is that immediately Saul begins to plot to kill David for no reason other than the fact that he was jealous. And so now almost instantly, David becomes Saul's enemy. Numerous attempts are made on David's life, right? And so the decision to flee, so, so David makes a decision now to flee from Israel, right? Because now he's like, my guy, this guy is trying to kill me. And not only that, Jonathan also, who is Saul's son, comes and tells him, yeah, yeah, my Mzee is definitely trying to kill you, right? And what, had, had to, what happened to David is that he had to leave everything he knew, his new wife, his family, and he had to flee. And this was not because of any wrong that he had done. This is similar to the story of Joseph that we studied last week, where it was a man that allowed him to deserve or caused him to deserve this treatment that he was receiving. Just like that, David instantly had become, his life was in danger. And now he was an enemy to the king. He had done no wrong. In fact, the only makosa that he had was that God was with him. And because God was with him, he ended up inheriting an enemy. And so now what happens is this, is that for the next 10 years, 
David had to live in caves, forests, and different territories while fleeing from Saul, who wanted him dead. It's after Saul dies that he then actually becomes what he was anointed to do, which is to be king. Can you imagine that? Imagine that this was a 15-year journey from the time the guy was anointed as king. The guy is anointed as king as 15 years old, and it's not until 15 years later where he actually becomes the very thing that he was anointed to become, which is king. In those 10 years, as he's here fleeing, it's approximately under 10 years, 8 to 10 years, don't really know exactly. In between that time, those were David's years where he's just like my guy. Four of those years were spent in intense, intense fleeing, where Saul was literally really, really looking for this guy. And so in between these 10 years when he's hiding out and he's in exile, there's a period in that time that's David's prison experience, where he is time and time again having to flee, hiding in caves, forests, and trying to escape from an enemy who wanted him dead. Now there's one specific situation very early on in this conflict with Saul that I want to highlight and draw some lessons for us today. I want us to look at this. And I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 21 verse 10 to 1 Samuel 22 from verse 1 to 5. Okay, That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish, Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David took these words to heart and was very afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adulab. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. And so the thing that happens in this story is that David, as he's fleeing from Saul, ends up in enemy territory, right? So while he's in flight mode, he ends up in Philistine, in Philistine territory. Remember, the Philistines were sworn enemies of Israel. And remember that the champion that he had killed, Goliath, was actually a Philistine, right? So they knew who David was. Right? He was the guy who had killed their champion. He was one that had led many attacks against the Philistine armies and succeeded. Right? This was the thing that had brought him fame, was him succeeding against these Philistine armies. Right? And so here he was in flight mode, and with absolute certainty they wanted to kill him. They would have killed him. And so David at this point in time is literally between a rock and a hard place. He cannot turn back 
because Saul is trying to kill him. And in the place that he's in right now, those people also want to kill him. So he can go back, can go forward, right? Because both, both are threatening his life, right? You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where it's like, Nikubaya, Nikubaya, like, back, forward, sideways, everything looks bad, right? This is where David was, in a situation where his life was literally on the line, right? And it says in the Bible that upon hearing that they recognized him, he was very afraid. And so David does something that was literally, in a very literal sense, insane, right? Like one of those things where it's like, I think about this way, it's just like, you know, those things where it's just like, there's no way this will work type of situations. But you're just like, anyway, Nikubaya, Nikubaya, but shall we just try? What he does is that he pretends to be a madman, right? And at this point, they look at him and they're like, ah, this dude is crazy. There's no need to pay him any mind, just leave him alone. This guy is, he's, he done lost his mind. And besides, why is he alone? Where is his army? He's definitely lost his mind. That's, even if, even if it's David, I'm a cheesy. Right? And what he does is that from here, he, he, it says that he, he, he flees to a cave in Adulam, which is where the name comes from, for Adulam, where it says that all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, the thing is that there's some things we can learn from this story of David, and I'd like to highlight two specific things that stand out to me about David's prison experience, okay? Number one is that you have inherited an enemy. You know, the thing that is so interesting is this, is that David was being sought after by Saul just because of him being him. David was chosen, anointed, and blessed. He's not the one who chose himself. He's not the one who anointed himself. He's not the one who blessed himself. And the thing is, because of these things, because of God's presence in his life, he inherited an enemy. The guy literally got an enemy just because of him being blessed by God. And the thing is, is that it's no different for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Because you are chosen, because you are anointed, because you are blessed, you have inherited an enemy that wants to see you dead. Your faith in Christ has caused you to inherit an enemy because you are chosen, anointed, and blessed. Yes, you. You are chosen, anointed, and blessed. This is why we are told that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You have an enemy who is not happy with your affiliation to God. Just like David and Joseph, you're just there minding your business and suddenly opposition comes. This is the life of a believer. And therefore, it's incredibly important for you to understand this so that you're not caught up being disgruntled about where you're facing opposition in your life. Just like David, just like uh, Joseph, these guys are just minding their business. All of a sudden, opposition. All of a sudden. And all this is because you're anointed, chosen, and blessed. And so it's important for you to understand and to be aware of this, right? Because for David, for a long time, he never quite understood why Saul was against him. And understandably so, there was no reason why Saul would be jealous. But the thing is, is that the reason why Saul was jealous is because he could see that David was the chosen, that David was anointed, that David was blessed. And this is the reason why the opposition arose, not because of anything David did, but because of just simply him being him. 
you can see his anguish all through the Psalms about wondering why does he, why, why would he deserve such opposition? He had done nothing to deserve this opposition, but it was because he was chosen, anointed, and blessed. This is why he faced opposition. Which leads me to my second and final take out from this story of David that we can learn from regarding having faith in the prison. In the situation that I just read from 1 Samuel where David acts like a madman to save his life, he writes a psalm after the, the, that incident that gives us tremendous insight into his mindset during one of his most trying moments, one of the most trying moments in his life. Soon after David pretends to be mad, the Bible says that he flees to the cave of Adullam. And it says, when you look at that, this, this Psalm 34, Psalm 34 is the Psalm that David wrote after this incident where he pretended to be crazy and was able to then flee into the cave of Adullam. And I want to read it where it says, I will, I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. You know, a few years ago, I think this was in 2019, I was in church and it was Testimony Sunday. Um, testimony Sunday was a time where we open mic and anyone who has a testimony will be able to just uh, uh, take the mic and, and give their testimony. And there were a number of people that came forward to be able to give their testimony. And there were many diverse stories. Some, some of these stories of, of, of people who had uh, you know, testified about losing their jobs. Some had gone through episodes of depression. Some had experienced failed relationships. And I remember there was one courageous lady who spoke and narrated how she had experienced being sexually assaulted by someone that she trusted. I mean, the testimonies that were given on that Sunday were incredibly moving. Like, these were just mind-blowing testimonies that were given on this day. But one of the things that really stood out to me about the testimonies on that day was that the testimonies 
for example, like those who had lost their jobs, their testimony wasn't how they had found another job, hallelujah. Their testimony was that in spite of them losing their jobs, that there wasn't a single day that they had slept hungry, that there was you know, no good thing that they lacked in spite of them losing their job. Those who had endured broken relationships spoke of how they felt peace in the midst of such a difficult situation. There's the, um, someone who spoke of how they underwent depression and spoke of how through it all they could feel God's presence with them and they were now glad to have gone through it because it made them more compassionate and attentive towards those that face depression. There was someone, there was this lady who spoke of the sexual assault and she spoke of the amount of, of, of love and support that she had experienced in the aftermath of the ordeal that had left her feeling deeply loved and supported by those around her. Now the thing about all these testimonies that they pointed to is, is what this psalm is really about. In this psalm, David is doing testimony Sunday. While hiding in that cave, there's these 400 men who are in debt, who are in distress, who are discontent. And he starts to tell them. And as he writes these psalms and he's here, I can see, I can, I can literally visualize this way. It's just like, here are these guys who've gathered around him completely discontent, in debt, in distress. And he starts telling them that I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And the thing that happens here is that what we see of David in this moment where he's fleeing, in this moment where he asks, he has to act like a madman so that to, in order to be able to just literally escape with his life. And now he's here hiding in a cave. And not only is he hiding in this cave, but now there are all these guys who have come so that he can become their commander. And what he does is that he shows us his resolve. Through this psalm we see his resolve. That he says that he will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And he's inviting us and inviting those who are listening to do the same. To those who are afflicted, to those men in debt, to those in distress, to those who are discontent. He's saying to them, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now the thing to realize is that David did not write this psalm. You know, you can easily read this psalm if, if you have no context around it. You're like, this is such a great psalm. This sounds like the psalm of a guy who is going through a really good time in his life, right? Things are going well, and he's just there like encouraging you to tell you, man, when you're afflicted, God's got you. He's in no good thing. Will, will you lack all that stuff? But the thing is that David did not write this psalm because things were going well. He wrote this psalm while he was hiding in a cave. This was not a psalm that was written in good times. It was written in a cave. It was written while David was undergoing what up until that point was the most trying moment of his life. Now the thing is that for many of us, it is during our prison season where we become hard-hearted towards the Lord. And I get it. I mean, during times of great trial, the greatest temptation is to speak of the facts that you are seeing. It's during those moments where it's difficult to pray. 
it's during those moments where we tend to speak negatively towards our lives or the situations that we're in because of the tough moment or the tough season that we're in. But what David teaches us through this psalm is that we need to purpose within ourselves that no matter what, we will praise God. You know, the most difficult time to praise is especially in the prison season. It is so difficult to give thanks at a time like this because there appears to be so little to be thankful for. This is why it is so important to realize that praise during your prison season is your worthy sacrifice to God. Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says that through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips, of lips praising his name. A sacrifice of praise. It is a sacrifice because it's not easy, especially when you're facing great tribulations. This is what David is teaching those men in debt, in distress, and who are discontent. This is what he's saying to us through this psalm. That praise is something that you purpose to do. There's a song that I love by William Murphy that says, Praise is what I do. Even when I am going through. Praise is who I am. I vow to praise you through the good and the bad. I'll praise you whether happy or sad. Praise is what I do. The thing about this is that David is teaching us is that this is a covenant that you make with your tongue. That in all situations, that in every circumstance, whether your flesh is in agreement or not, that your tongue will praise the Lord. And the thing, that, so it, the thing about this is, is that it is especially something that you need to remember, not when things are good, but especially when things are not going your way. And what the thing that David is saying to us, and the thing that I am imploring you today, is that we need to learn how to train our tongues to praise God for things. That we need to learn how to offer a sacrifice of praise to God, even in the midst of your prison season. That just like David, you will declare that I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. This is a decision that David made. This was a, a thing that he had purposed within himself. That I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Friends, this is what faith looks like. Faith in the prison. This is what it looks like to trust in the Lord. This is why James taught us that the tongue is the most difficult thing to tame. That it is not, in fact, it's not random that in this psalm, where David is praising the Lord in the cave, he's also exhorting us regarding our tongues. He's literally telling us in verse 11 to 13, he says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Teach your tongue to praise the Lord 
especially in the prison season. Offer a sacrifice of praise because it's a sacrifice, especially in those moments. And the thing about this psalm is that it's a great psalm to remember and to read, especially in times of great difficulty. It reminds us that God is close to the brokenhearted. It reminds us that through the right, that though the righteous person may have many troubles, the Lord delivers him from them all. It reminds us that those who take refuge in him will always find safety. You know, those 400 men who came to gather around David were seeking refuge in a cave. But what David is telling these guys who are in debt, in distress, and discontent is that their most blessed refuge isn't in that cave. It is in God. And what he does is that he says to them, and he's inviting them, that taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and taste and see. Come and taste and see. And that is what I'm inviting you to do today. To taste and see that God is indeed our refuge. An ever-present help in time of trouble. That we run to him in our affliction and that we praise him in our affliction. It says here that the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. You know, the thing that is interesting about David is that he still had a few more years of trouble to endure before becoming king. But as you go through his story, you see time and time and time and time and time again, God coming to his rescue. God is our refuge even in our prison season. And what we have to learn is to praise him through whatever season we are in, in our lives. It's major keys. Whatever season we're in in our lives, that we can learn and train ourselves to offer a sacrifice of praise regardless. And so I want to pray for you now to be able to just determine within yourself that you will make God your refuge and that in any season of your life you will be determined just like David to exalt the Lord at all times and that his praise will forever and always be on your lips. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your word. We honor you because you're the God who sees us in every season. You're the God who's with us in every season. You're the God who hears us. You're the God who is close to us, even in our seasons of difficulty, even when we walk through the fire, even when we go through the raging rivers, you are with us. Father, we come before you to set you as our refuge. And not only just to set you as our refuge and to say that you are our refuge and our strength, we come and we say, blessed be your holy name. For you are the God who sees us. You are the God who is with us. You are the God who guides and leads us.
into all truth, into all wisdom, and you lead us with grace. And so we worship you today. We lift up your name. And we ask that would you remind us in whatever season that we're in, remind us of this word to always, in whatever season we are in, that praise will always be found on our lips. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Listen, if this message blessed you, please be sure to share with someone whom you love. Share with a friend, a colleague, anyone. And then also, listen, support us. Support this ministry so that we can be able to make more dope content and be able to spread this message of the kingdom to as many people as possible. And then, make sure that you subscribe. Sawa, subscribe. Subscribe, wherever the button, subscribe. Subscribe. God bless you guys.